And uh, ready when you are, sir. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. We <laughs> got two R. Kelly wannabes up. Wait, that's not. Is that R. Kelly? It is. is it? It's like a seal or somebody. It might be seal too. Uh, I didn't like him. I don't remember. All right. You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 47. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan... uh, (laughs) Easy for you to say. I am Alan Underwood. Sounds like a robot. (laughs) I'm Michael Outlaw. And I'm Joe Zach. Right. And Joe's not with us today. He's he's got some things where he couldn't make it today, but... He will definitely be back with us on the next episode, but we will dearly miss him, yes. as I'm sure you all will. So um, so we apologize now that you only have to listen to the two of us. Yeah. So, no, yeah. we don't apologize. No, the third <laughs> dynamic is gone. It's, it, it's all, it's... it's it, it does stink. It, we're not going to have all these weird interruptions and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe we will. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so the thing that we like to do here is read off our iTunes and Stitcher reviews, people. And GL Beatrice, these are for you because you said you liked this portion of the show. So oh, really, I missed that. Yeah, it was in it was in one of the iTunes reviews. So, uh, or yeah, yeah. So here we go. I'm going to take a stab at the iTunes, and then Mike can do oh, the uh, Stitcher. Man, or do you want to switch them up? Now go ahead. No, no, let's switch them up because I actually I, some of these other ones look good. So you got the iTunes. Okay, thank God. <laughs> uh, well, then I say that. So S Mick O three, maybe Alex I twenty two, Davey YB sixty six, uh, Tingu Tin. I I messed that one up. <laughs> Tingu six six six, maybe GL Beatrice, Eric. The guy who has the most normal sounding name on here, uh, Lambs. How would you say that? I probably would have said Lambs. Lambs. Yeah. Lamb. Yeah. Lambs. Okay. Uh, C W Woodwa, Jason Clerkin, Zach Brady, Brady, uh, Brady. Oh, what did I say? Man, how are you gonna mess him up? He's all up in our Slack channel. Zach Brady. Because yeah, I'll tell you how I'll mess this up because this is me reading names. This is my kryptonite here. I can't do this. Uh Vizilla and iPad 2, which maybe you want to upgrade there's a new iPad. I don't know if you've heard. Man, why you gotta hate? Oh, sorry. All right. So Stitcher reviews, yeah. These are kind of ridiculous. Let's see. I think that one's Swedish. Jory Tree Dij not sure. Greg P B. <laughs> Anemone Worcestershire, or Worcestershire. Yeah, yeah. That's like the sauce. Like, yes. nobody can say Worcestershire. Yes, exactly. Seifer, Mahit the Geek, Joshua Garrison 27, Active Fire, Daisy Chubb, and Sacco. So, guys, I feel like you practiced those, though. No, you no, read man. those way too easy. Because there was one, I'm like, oh, this one's going to trip him up. Here he goes. <laughs> and he's like, oh, Mahit the Geek. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Man, these roll off the tongue, man. Oh, uh, so thank you everyone who took the time to do this. It was funny I, when I first looked at iTunes, I was like, man, we only got two reviews. We haven't recorded in three months. There should be like at least five. <laughs> and, 
And then I went and looked at the international and you guys were all over. So thank you very much. Everyone who took the time to do that really super appreciate it. So with that, let's get on to a little bit of news. The we don't have the most a... exciting thing has happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've talked about this in the past. So oh. I'll let you lead into this one. Samsung has introduced their latest version of the MVME M2 factor SSD the 960 Pro and the 960 Evo, and I got to tell you, it's drool-worthy, man. It's pretty amazing 3,500 megabytes per second sequential read time. And, and for those that listened to the one where we talked about the 950 Pro, that was 2,500. Yes. So this thing's like a magnitude. It's like 50% faster. Yes. It's insane. It's absolutely nuts. And for and just so that everybody's aware, there's a big difference between PCI-based and the um, SATA-based. So this is PCI-based SSDs, and they go all the way up to 2 terabytes. Right. So quadruple the capacity of before. Yep. And that'll only set you back about thirteen hundred dollars for that one, but well, I mean, you know. But if you need it, and you, I mean, or if you want it, you know, um, yeah, that's I mean, going to be. You were going to buy an iPhone seven, <laughs> and so it was the choice between you know I could just mag daddy it out with the nine sixty Pro two terabyte, or I could have the jet black iPhone seven. Which is it going to be, right? Man, I want to raid two of those terabyte. Ones. Oh my god! Two ter- oh man, that would be amazing. You, oh. you get close to. Probably six. Well, here's the beauty of it, though. So now that these are being announced, the 950s are coming down in price. Yep, yep. So it's like, oh, I could pick up a second one and rate it. Well, the cool part about these 960s is looking at the pricing, they're probably about 60 cents a gig somewhere in that ballpark. So they're not not astronomical. Um, They're still not down there. Like, you can get some terabyte uh, SSDs out there now for 250 bucks. Um, they're not going to be the fastest uh, Samsung well, Evos, but I'm still waiting for that 60 terabyte, uh, three and a half inch form factor to come down. Amazing when that when that guy comes out for consumer purchase, that's going to be amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, you could take all your current drives that you have rated together and Throw run, them your away. Drobo <laughs> or your your uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones now that are better than the Drobos, but uh, whatever your storage chassis of choice is, right? And throw in a 60 terabyte SSD. It's ridiculous. And then rate it together with other 60 terabyte SSDs, and it'll be amazing. You can now take over the Fox television network with, with your You power. pretty much could, man. You pretty <laughs> much could. Oh, it's killer. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a bit of fun news. Um, one thing a that bit. I want... <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to talk about is SQL Server 2016 is, you know, here and column store is now a big deal because that's what a lot of uh, indexing engines use when they're doing like search engines and that kind of stuff. And so it's made its way into SQL Server. So now you can do real time operational analytics and we'll have a link to that here in the show notes. Hmm, I'm going to have to read up on that one. Yeah, that, that looks pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty interesting. Oh, speaking of, there was another thing that I had to read up on too that someone brought up on our Slack channel uh, about Azure being able to, uh, has a, has a data, uh, has a dependency, uh, an ability to manage your dependencies or report on or something like that. Oh, that's killer. So I got to add that to my, uh, my reading list. Excellent. Uh, if we find that, we'll put that in the show notes too. And then there was another bit of news that if for anybody that listens to security now with Steve Gibson, you'll probably be aware of this name. 
But Krebs, who does Krebs on security. Brian Krebs, to yep, be more specific. Brian Krebs. His site was actually taken off Akamai because he got hit with the biggest DDoS attack we believe that has ever happened. And this thing went all the way up to 665 gigabits per second. Yeah, he, he sent out a tweet here on the 21st. says, holy moly, Prolex reports my site was just hit with the largest DDoS the Internet has ever seen. 665 gigabit per second. Sites still up. <laughs> Hashtag fail. fail. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and and we were talking about this as we were putting it together, and I'm guessing that it has to be a DDoS amplification attack. That's the only way that I could see that they were getting... Um, I mean, because a lot of people are familiar, might have heard the term DDoS, which is the distributed denial of attack. So instead of having like... service attack. I'm sorry, uh, of service. So instead of having like one machine trying to bring down a a service by flooding it with data, you get thousands and thousands of machines to all request a little bit of data. But the amplification attack, the way that works, is that the client can request, say, you know, a small amount of data... But the server then has to respond back with a larger portion of data, and that's what will bring it down, um, So if here's I'm stating that cool. correctly. It was not an amplification, but you're no. correct. No, he says Krebs called the attack unusual, as the, and I'm reading this off the ZDNet um, article here. The DDoS appears to have originated from a massive botnet of compromised devices leveraged to create vast amounts of traffic through garbage web attack methods rather than amplification no or reflection way. techniques, which are most commonly used for DDoS. Because really the whole purpose of doing the amplification is you can create like massive problems with smaller amounts of machines, right? But this sounds like they literally just hit tons and tons of devices and use those to hit it. So that's, that's pretty crazy. That's a different take on it. I'm trying to remember like an example of an amplification attack. I think there was an attack on DNS where the if you sent like a malformed DNS request, then the response would be far larger than what the query was. And that was the example of the amplification, right? So you sent this small little request, but there's a response that had to come back was gigantic. And because it was also malformed and bad, right, then, you know... Um, you know, who care? Like it's not actually coming back to your machine. So your machine or, you know, the, the, hopefully not your machine, but you know, whatever the, the, the machine is, that's being used to issue this query. Uh, it, it's not actually resolving back to it, which is also part of the problem or can be part of the problem. Yep. So but, yeah, that's actually really impressive then that it was the largest attack and it wasn't a, a amplification or reflection attack. And I'm sure that there's probably somebody like, you know, a security now or a, a, a defensive security that's probably like, oh my god, these guys, what are they talking about? Yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff. And, but you and, know, like, uh, but you you brought up security now. You know, he's been taken down several times here yeah. lately. Yeah, it, people, unfortunately, people are attacking the people that are actually trying to help out in the industry. Yeah. Well, and and the difference between why it's maybe not nearly as big a deal though is, uh, you know. Well, compared to Brian Krebs, because Brian Krebs is on like an Akamai service, whereas Steve Gibson is not. And he has gone on multiple times to say that the reason why he can't have GRC on any kind of a 
uh, you know, CDN type network or something like that is because of the services that he's offering requires the low level network connectivity to be able to receive unsolicited requests. Yeah, he's on the you backbone know. directly. Yeah, so and he so can do like cert. Validation. Yeah, he's like directly on level three, and yep. so he has to be able to you know for some of the services that uh, he offers, he has to be able to accept uh, you know requests that you know he didn't initiate or anything. So he can't be on, you know, any kind of, he can't have any kind of a proxy between him or else he wouldn't be able to do it. Right. And it's unfortunate inside that they take him down. I hope nobody decides to do that to us because we definitely are not hosting on anything like that. Well, I mean, the bulk of our content though is coming through, you know, uh, you know, people are listening. It's a podcast. So it's different. Yep. So, the topic of the show today, and this is one that I think a lot of people have been waiting for since we announced it on Slack, is we're going to dive into the book Clean Code by, uh, well, it's the Robert C. Uncle Martin. Bob. Yeah, Uncle Bob Martin series. And it, I, I got to say, before we actually get into this, I wasn't looking forward to this. Really? And I guess the reason is, is we've all been programming for a long time, and, and I was expecting a boring technical manual. And oh, surprisingly, yeah. this is actually so it's hard to call it a fun read, but it's entertaining and it's informational at the same time. Well, I got to say, one, I'm a little surprised how high my voice went up just then when I said, really, <laughs> that's that might be embarrassing. So if you could edit that out, I'd appreciate Four, it. 14 year old outlaw. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm going through puberty again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there is a lot like I have a few notes here. I don't know if you noticed, Alan. Um, there might be like a sticker or two that I've placed in here to mark, you know, uh, a page of interest. Um, yeah, these guys have some things to say and, uh, it's all good stuff. So it, it, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it says it's Robert C. Martin series and has him as the author, but there's actually like a collection of authors that, you know, are writing different parts of the book. Um, you know, or there's a lot of stuff from other, you know, names that you've heard of in the industry. So, um, but a lot of these are topics that it's like, Oh yeah, I've totally thought that there, now there were some things in here that I was like, no, God, I disagree with that. It, there were some that jumped out at me, but then it was surprising to me how many of them that I implicitly do while I code, but I feel like I could do a better job of, especially after reading some of this. And we'll we'll get to some of it. Like, there's definitely some of these things that I'm 100% guilty of. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. But the first, so these well, are, the, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Joe's not even here and I can still over talk somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, like right away, I got to love it though, because it starts off with this, this awesome drawing, right? That we have to describe here, right here in the introduction where uh you know it shows two doors there's the good the good code review on the left and the bad code review on the right right and it says that this is the only valid measurement of code code quality is the number of wtfs per minute <laughs> so the good code review has you know two wtfs like just randomly being spoken like wtf wtf right but the bad code review is like WTF, WTF, dude, WTF, WTF, <laughs> WTF is this, right? <laughs> and it's so true <laughs> because often like you'll see good code and you're like, what the, <laughs> that is awesome. But then you'll see bad code and you'll be like, what 
the <laughs> that who would do that? Awesome. <laughs> Why would you ever do that? Oh man, what what's really funny is when a new person joins a team, like like where we work now, several of us joined at the same time, and we saw some of the code. It got the job done. It wasn't pretty. It got the job done. <laughs> it got the job done. It, it it was not easy to work in. But it's funny because as you're going through and trying to make improvements and clean it up, you know, you're you're feeling good about what you're doing and how you're enhancing the code base. And then a new person comes along and they're like, what in the world are you guys doing? And it's like, dude, right? don't, don't come in like throwing, throwing stones. <laughs> you don't know what we've been through. There's always, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's actually... Uh, and I'm trying to think there is a there is a good quote from a book and I'm trying to remember which one it was now where they talked exactly that. Oh no. Um was, I think it was the Robert L. Reed series that yeah, we read. Where it's like, programmer. You haven't been in that person's shoes yet, so don't go insulting what they've done. Yeah, totally. I mean it's you don't even know that they wrote it. You don't know who wrote it. Don't make assumptions, you know. Well, I mean, Git doesn't lie. Well, Git does if you just initially what? put it in there. Oh, well, that's <laughs> not sudden, fair. Outlaw did all the bad good. <laughs> wait, wait. I don't like, why did we take that tangent? Why did it have to be my name thrown out there? Because <laughs> you're the one who creates the Git repos. Yeah, well, there's that. So Yeah, I, I mean, I also love this idea, too. And this is, you know, before we get into, like, the main meat of, tonight's topic though but along the topic of the you know staying within the confines of this book was there's this concept of the grand redesign in the sky right and it's always like okay fine let's just we'll make it work as you said right we'll just let's make it work for now and we will come back to this thing later and we will make it better later and that's always it's always later there's never it's never like i'm going to do this tomorrow it's never i'm going to do this in an hour let me get it done right now because we have some commitment and I'll come back to it in an hour after lunch or something like that. It's always like Later. we will redesign this whole thing and it won't just be like we're going to do this one small thing. It's going to be like the whole thing. We're going to redo the whole thing. This whole architecture is going to change and we're going to make this entire architecture better. And that's why like there's a friend that we have who, I mean, you got to love this amount because he's always like, don't ever think like that. Always think about like just iterate on what we've got. Right. Just make what we've got better you know, do what you can a little bit at a time. And he's so right. Yeah, absolutely. Because that grand redesign in the sky never happens. Hey, he, this friend that we're talking about, he has worked in, in consulting roles where he sees this kind of stuff all the time, right? And he's been in management roles and all that. And after you've seen it so many times where somebody talks about a rewrite or a redesign, you start to realize that that's not realistic, right? You start to realize that if you really want to improve things, you start making small changes until you get your way there, right? Like you never ended a race by by just being the one that, that you know, ended there. You had to start somewhere. You had to make the steps to get to that point at the end. And and I think that's a key piece. Yeah, and often, you know, the, the problem about a grand redesign is that it's scary, though, too. Yeah. Because you may recreate all of those bugs all yeah. over again. So you're basically throwing away all the lessons learned, all the knowledge gained, and you're trying to start over from scratch, and very likely you're going to introduce, you're going to recreate bugs. I mean, Windows has famously done this. when they When they went from... I think it was Vista, right? That was the complete rewrite. It was garbage, yeah. and or or at least let me rephrase that. Uh, an example was the TCP/IP stack, if I recall, for Windows Vista was a complete rewrite from the ground up, and 
they made a lot, not all, but a lot of the same mistakes over again that had been previously corrected uh, in XP. Yeah, it's, and we're going to get into a lot of ways that you can mitigate those problems by going through these chapters. But so the the last thing that I wanted to say about this, though, which I felt went really well with it, though, is that like forget the grand redesign in the sky and do the iterate, but or you know the iteration on it. But part of how you get there, though is the Boy Scout role. Yes. And we've talked about this before, but there's specifically a, a small little blurb in the the book where uh, it's talking about like, you know, if you have to edit a piece of code, make it, no, don't just do the thing that you had to do. Do something to make it better. Even if that was to like delete one line or rename one variable to make it, you know, uh, more easily understood or one function name or whatever. Whatever the one little change is, that you can make to make that code just a tiny bit prettier than where you found it is great. Right? Yep. I agree with that. I have, I have one thought on it though. Like if you're going in to change a label on something and, <laughs> and your entire file turns green when you do a compare, that's a problem, right? Because nobody can now validate that the change did what it was going to do and isolated and all that. Okay, kind I of feel stuff. like you're you're pointing that at me. No, no, no. Actually, I'm not. But it's, but if you're talking about like, well, okay, it's just it's just one of those things. Be be cognizant of you know what you're attempting to do and allowing people to actually see that it was done right. If if you end up rewriting an entire file, it's a little bit harder to do that. Uh, not saying that it shouldn't be done sometimes, but you know it can be difficult. So with that, the very first chapter we're going to talk about is Meaningful Names. That's chapter two, correct? Yes. We're going to be starting with chapter two in the book, just kind of talking about various bits from it. Yep. So uh, one of the... Oh, and are we talking about... We, I don't think we've mentioned this yet either, right? But, uh, you know, we're doing something with these hint oh, hints. Oh, yeah. I Do think we even we, talk about that yet? I think we mentioned it in a previous episode. Well, so here's here's the goal, guys. Like... I think so how many chapters are in this book I haven't even I haven't looked at it and and starting reading it we weren't sure what we were going to do but with what I've read so far and we'll talk about this a little bit more but I think we might cover most everything in the book that is relevant to you know a lot of what a lot well, of people Well we're not going to be able to cover everything in the book. Well maybe not everything but we'll probably hit several we'll talk of the chapters. About, we'll talk there might be some areas that get scared. I'm not saying like we're talking about every part of it. But when we're done with this, we have three fresh copies of clean code that we'll be giving away. Oh, no, wait a minute. I thought that's not the way. No, that's uh, the way we're doing it. I uh, thought we were going to do like for every episode that we do clean code, we were giving away three copies. Oh, is that what we're going to do? That's what, Well, I threw it out there now, so I feel like, Alan, you're on the hook. I mean, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, So... Uh, yeah, we'll figure this out. Uh, apparently, we had differing ideas, but I mean, so either which way, somebody's going to win. So we're going to talk about chapters one through fifty tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the only episode that we're recording. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely, we are going to give away copies of the book. It's like I said, it's a fantastic read. Sometime between now and the end of the show, we'll figure out how that contest is going to work. Yeah. But because we forgot, we did forget to go over that in our show notes before uh, we decided to hit the record button. Interesting. So you're going to see some thought <laughs> process on the fly. <laughs> Might see some, some corrections and, you know, happening in real time. Well, hold on. Hold on. Let's look at how many chapters there are. Let, let's do this real quick. Oh, uh, there's like 18. Okay. So there's 18. 
If we figure we do three per, and maybe we have four or five I'm sorry, episodes. 17 chapters. There's 17 chapters, and then there's like some really long appendixes. All right, so that's what? Probably four to five episodes, we'll say? Uh, yeah, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. How about we give away two books per episode? Two? Okay. Two per episode, because we don't know how many of these are going to drag out to, and we're not rich yet. Well, I didn't think we would talk about everything in the book either, though. Yeah, I don't know. So That's why I was thinking, like, you know, if we're doing it per... But, okay, let's put it this way. Well, we're at least on the... How about we agree that for this episode, we give away the three that I mentioned. Yep. And then maybe we revise it. Maybe I talk you into not revising it. Maybe our Slack channel talks you into not revising it. Someone's going to talk you into being on my side here. I think what it's going to boil down to is what kind of response we get. Like, if nobody actually says, hey, we want that book, then... Uh, if everybody's like, like okay, oh, whatever. great, you're giving away a book yeah. from, like, 1990-whatever. Yeah. Actually, this book was made, like, 2005-ish, I think. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll gauge it by response. We'll give away three for this episode, and if people are excited about it, then then we'll, we may keep it at that. So uh, I can work with that. That's fair We'll enough. still have to figure out the contest rules in real time as we go through the show. But we're going to start with... Chapter two here of Meaningful Names. Yep. And so one of the very first quotes that I pulled out of the book that I thought was awesome is, if a name requires a comment, then that name does not reveal its intent. Oh, right. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot to that. But I was, have you ever done that? Have you ever seen that done? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Wait. Which one are you saying yes to? (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, I'd say you're honest, but you're not, you're only saying you're not sure. So So I don't know if you're being honest. I've definitely had a named variable or method where I was like, yeah, I think I need to explain what this thing is doing. And, and that's, that's wrong. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the example they give here is like you have an int D. And then to the right of it, you say elapsed time in days, whereas you could have just named it elapsed time in days and right. be done with it. Right. So have I ever done this? Hmm. I'm probably sure. I mean, at some point, we've all, we're all guilty of everything in this book. Yes. Like everything bad that they that they point out. So I got to believe that I'm definitely you know guilty of this at some point. I can't think of a recent one, but... I mean, people have it, uh, a great one is when you have like outer loop counters and inner loop counters and that kind of stuff. And the problem is people will do like I and then J and then K and then L and nobody can read that stuff. Like it, it's completely useless. That was the one case though where they said by convention that uh, I say they, I forgot who wrote this chapter. Was it Featherstone? Um, where, you know, that. Because it's just convention that you have I and I'm sorry, it was Tim. No, but that was only for a single loop. That was only for something that was a simple thing that you could quickly. Well, that's look why at. you would have a J though. No, but they specifically I and J? called out. They specifically called out other letters too, and they're like, "Yeah, this is because it's convention on so it's a okay. one loop." But if you start nesting loops, they said no. Rewrite them and Where name name the list. Actually, it's on the next page, page 19. You'll see that they rewrote the the for loop from page 18 into named lists and that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah. No. Yeah, totally. No, they still have the same, they they just, re, they rewrote, but there, was, there wasn't a nested uh, loop there. Mm. So that didn't apply. They, but there was a spot, trust me, where they specifically called it out. And I don't remember because it's been, you know, a while since I read this, but there was a spot where they called out, uh, you know, I, 
IJ and K, I think, was as far as they went. And yeah. they said only because this is convention that you know those were those letters are okay. But they also made the point though of saying that uh you know, there's another part where they get into they start talking about um you know function links and whatever and you know it was only acceptable because if you have a small function yes. that's easy to digest then yeah fine then yes. that's okay but if you have like large uh you know loops here and then you know nest and then they're nested on top of that then yeah you can totally lose uh you know your place in it as you're trying to read it. Well, we'll get to that because I've actually got that in the show notes is what he refers that to is like brain mapping, but we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Um, so yeah, like you said though, naming your variables can reveal the entire purpose of what that block is. But, and, and that's really the point. But there was also another great section that was kind of like this about the, you know, intention revealing names, which was, you know, don't, you know, avoid disinformation is the way they worded it. Yes. But, you know, don't give a name that doesn't um, really convey what it is, right? Like, as as software developers, we have certain ideas about certain things, right? So if you tell me that something is a list, right, if that's the name of the, if that's part of the name of the variable, then I'm going to have certain expectations as to what that thing can do or what that thing is underneath, You're right? going to think it's a list because as a programmer, you hear right. list and you think, oh, it's a list. Right. And if it comes back that it's actually like a dictionary... Mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna be a little upset. Why did you name it list, right? Yep. And so, they actually go on to say, like, you know, don't even bother to put the type name in it at all, which I actually like better. I completely agree. Um, so like what they were talking about is if it's somebody might say, Hey, this is an account list. And the problem with mm-hmm. that is, again, as a programmer, that's a problem because we think in terms of programming terms. So instead of calling it account list, count call it accounts, right? or group of accounts, or, you know, something like that, something that doesn't have a programming term in it. And that that can be really key into not confusing somebody that comes behind you. But it doesn't even have to be based on type name either. I mean, we've talked about this before, about part of the beauty about knowing the design patterns, for example, going back to the Gang of Four. Part of the beauty about knowing those and understanding those is if you see something that's called something, something, something factory, you know, then you already have an idea about like what this thing is and what you can do with it and how you can use it, right? If it doesn't actually, if it's not actually a factory, yeah, then you're, you're going to be upset. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be well. Why would you name it that? Because this is how I wanted to use this thing, right? Yep. Yep. So I mean, that's another example that they didn't uh, exactly cover that, but I mean, it's still relevant. Yeah, right? totally. it's still part of it's still part of disinformation. Any kind of programming terminology <laughs> that you know people are used to, you should be very aware and not name your variables, things like that, that would mislead somebody else. Um, another one that they pointed out that I thought was good and, <laughs> and is so true. Don't use characters. Like if you're doing, um, if you're naming just a single letter variable, don't use a capital O don't use an L uh, <laughs> a lowercase L because they look like zeros and ones. And it is, you can't see. Right. And, and then if capital O equal, equal lowercase L, <laughs> right. That I, line is beautiful. I mean, and the thing is they even went into in the book saying something about, you know, somebody even went as far as say, we'll change the font in your editor. Oh, but, right. But, but that I, doesn't make I'd sense. I'd have to slap somebody. Right. Right. Because, okay. That wait. is legal grounds for where one developer <laughs> should be allowed to slap another developer and be like, what'd you just say? <laughs> what was that for? 
Um, no, Change but, my font. But I mean, think about that, right? Like, even even if you said that that was going to work for your current group of developers, like you're going to use a serif font with with all the stuff, right? The problem is the very next person that gets hired that installs Visual Studio or WebStorm or whatever the IDE is, they're not going to have that. And then all of a sudden they're going to see one equals zero as opposed to I equal, you know, <laughs> or L equal O. And that's a problem. So never use variables that can be substituted out for, for numbers easily when you're looking at them. Well, I mean, going along that same lines of these single-letter crazy uh – Variable names, though, they made the point of like, you should make your variable names searchable. Yes. Which I loved that idea. Yes. I'm yes. like, you know, I never really thought about it like that. Like, I try to give them meaningful names, but, and I totally take advantage of that, you know, the searchability of it, especially in JavaScript. Um, but I never thought about it from the point of view of like, you know, oh, I want to make this greppable, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Even though that's technically, you know, what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause if you name everything uh, I, you cannot you cannot go to find that, right? It Yeah, again, I was only allowed as an indexer as an indexer for a loop. Uh, Otherwise you should get away from but it. But another one, similar one would be name, right? Like so you're gonna have if you have tons of classes in your application, name is almost invariably one of them. One of the instance values on it, right? Like you might have um Oh, like a property value. Like a property, saying, so yeah. you would have some class. Let's say, let's say you have a class customer, and a property of it is called name. Name, yes. And then you're going to have a class employee, and is is going to be name. So when you search all this stuff, name's going to show up everywhere. Right. So that's not informative, and that's what he's talking about with having a good grepping name. Now, the one thing that was frustrating about but this, and in the case of where they go with the address, though, it kind of goes against what you're just saying because they do of. give an example of, uh, you know, if you were to have have two different like address type classes and it's like well which one do you use in this situation yep right whereas if you just had one address class you know a postal address class then you know you could have street name yeah so one of the things that i noticed a lot in in these chapters is they'll give some information and some of it will even contradict stuff that they've given previously because when we were talking about the uh, the searchable names, they say longer names trump shorter names, right? Because then it's more searchable. Like having, you know, customer name is something that you can search for, right? But then at the very end of that chapter, they're like, you know, prefer shorter names over longer names. <laughs> and it's like, well, come on, man. Well, no, no, no. There's um, There was actually, uh, and it was one of the things that I wanted to call out that I thought was an uh, awesome idea was that the length of the variable name should directly correlate to its uh, scope. Like if it's, if it's, you know, smaller variable names are uh, only in a smaller block scope, yes, right? totally. The larger the scope that that variable is available, the longer its name should be. Yes. Right? Yes. So that's where that's coming from. Like, because I didn't read... I don't. I don't know about the contradiction parts because I didn't re- necessarily read that they were contradicting. I thought they kind of like carried on from one to the next, but that was my take. And well, you know, dear listener, summer. when you get a copy of this book, maybe you'll read it as uh, something else. You know, maybe yeah. maybe you'll have a different take on that. It was more towards the end of the chapter where they were kind of doing like a summary on it, and they said that shorter names are generally better than longer ones, so long as they are clear. But then that goes against the searchability thing. Is kind of what I'm getting at. 
Now, how about this? Though? Well, no, because if it's no, because if it's short, but its block scope is short, then you're only searching in a small area, right? If you have a five-line function, then you can afford to have a variable that's only three letters long, right? Because you're only you can visually scan those five lines. In terms of gripping a project, though, is what I'm getting at. If you're trying to search your entire project, but but my point though is that like you're not going to search the entire project for a variable that's only scoped in within five lines. If you know that, yes. If if you are aware. well, you could see that you could see its scope is only in those five lines. No, but what I'm getting at is if you have name, right? Like we said a second ago, and name shows up in a bunch of different classes, and you're searching, you know that there was something called name, and you were trying to find it, and now it shows so, up in 80 different files. That's not helpful. I guess where I'm, th- I'm thinking of this, though, is more along the lines of, like, constants. Okay, because constants aren't going to be as part of, like, an object like what you're describing. Right. Whereas in a modern editor, and they even make points of saying, like, you know, in modern editors, you can find references of a particular variable. Right. right? So in your name example, you could say, like, okay, show me all the references of this name, which right. is going to be specific. Oh, I think my audio cut out there for a minute. Which is going to be specific to that um, uh, object type, right? Right, right. So, so it's going to know that. Now, the one... Like, here's where the example kept going through in my mind, though. It's like, okay, let's find, let's take a Java or a C Sharp where I might have a really nice, uh, feature rich IDE. And because of this strong typing and compilation that's required, then it can know those kind of things. But then on the flip side, now let me talk about, uh, you know, something like JavaScript. And even though I might be using something like WebStorm, which is an awesome IDE, because it's not strongly typed, there are times where, you know, it, it, it falls short it. and it can't yeah. find something. Yeah. And so that's where the, the kind of variable searching that you're doing would come into play. But even in that scenario, you're not doing uh, a search across, you know, you know, that's where like, if it's only five lines and you can see that it was just VARD in those five lines, right. then, okay, fine. I don't need to search everywhere, but that's where your name issue would come up. So I'll give you that. Yeah. Th- mine was more about searching across a project as opposed to, you know, a known class or something. Yeah. So now, how do you feel about the Hungarian notation, though? I also agreed with what they said because the Hungarian notation that they talked about in the book was don't prepend like str to a variable, right? Well, I, it wasn't like back in the day, though, it was even less than that. It was just, I remember doing do it as just s. Like, I hate that stuff. So, for those who aren't familiar with Hungarian notation, um, you know, let, let's rewind the clock here and. You know, old C, I remember doing this in old C uh, uh, programs or C++ programs. And, you, you know, they talk about doing it in basic. Um, but the idea was that, um, let's say if you had a string, right? It, whatever your variable name. So you mentioned name a moment ago. So your variable might name might be lowercase s, uppercase n, name, mm-hmm. right? If you had a Boolean value for um, is valid, you might have... B. Lowercase b, uppercase i is uppercase v valid, right? I hate that stuff. So, so uh, you hate it now. I hate and it I'll, back then. I will get. I will give you that. But uh, there was a time where, like, that was how you knew 
what it was. What the type was, right. You know, like you could easily tell. You could look at some documentation. Because keep in mind, this didn't necessarily have to be your code. You could look at Win32 API calls and you would know what the type was coming back to you or what you needed to pass in just by the name alone. But so there the was problem. a time for it. So there's the problem that I have is exactly what you said is true until somebody changed the type. They, they made it a, a Boolean initially, right? And then they realized, oh, man, it can't just be true or false. It needs to be zero, one, two, or 3, right? And then what would invariably happen is they would leave the variable name the same as it was because they wouldn't have to go find everywhere that it needed to be replaced because back then the editors weren't as good as they are now. And so you'd have this B is something, and all of a sudden it's no longer a Boolean. It's an integer, or something like that. And that's... Well, even th- in that scenario, though, it was still going to have compilations. If you change the type, you're going to have compilation errors. So you'll find your references if it's a strongly typed but, language. But that's what I'm saying. It, it won't matter. They'll leave the name there. So they would have changed it from a Boolean Yeah, but my point, though, is that's just laziness at that point. Because they're going to find... Because, because they changed the type, they're going to find the errors more often than not. So that's kind of where I'm going, though. They almost always lie. And they're almost So you always, hate lazy people is what you're saying. And they're almost always obvious. Like, people, like I'll never forget when people would do databases, they'd put table and then the table name. Oh my and God. I was like, what? No. <laughs> it, it, what else could it be? Okay, so you have views and you have functions. Okay? Like, tables are the core of a database. Why are you naming everything table, customer, table, whatever? You know. So, I mean, I, I'm no longer... In it, but there was definitely a time where you know I valued the Hungarian notation because, like I said, like you know that was it was the most it was the easiest way. Once you got familiar with it, then I mean you could you could easily just look at any call and you would immediately knew you knew what was happening. And but here's where like I started it started to break down for me was that like once it got to be multi letter ones, you know, right? Then it was like okay, like you know OBJ for obj and. for object and it's like okay like pretty soon here we're going to be spelling out whole words now where it really got to be problematic and where where even during the time that i liked it but where i struggled with it is if you had a long class name right um you know i can't think of a really good example so i'm going to say out a horrible one only because it was the first thing that comes to mind but um you know if you had something like uh customer shipping address home shipping address whatever you know then then you know and you used each first letter of those words as your abbreviation right then it got to be a little bit carried away it was like okay wait a minute you know i i don't even know what this type is anymore right Right. It, it like the hungarian notation worked out great for simple uh, primitive types, but once you started using it for your complex objects and you used something other than just O, then that's where it fell apart for me. Now today, with today's editors, yeah, no way, you shouldn't do it. Now there is one take on it though that I kind of uh, I don't know that I necessarily agree because part of the Hungarian notation was back in the day for member variables of your class you would. Uh, prepend them with M underscore, right? Yep. And now it's kind of, that's fallen away, And but you still do an underscore for your privates. And I still kind of like that. And I'm still guilty of it. 
I still sometimes name my private variables with underscores. I definitely, if they are if they are private, I usually at least lowercase them. I mean, it's usually it's just I I kind of follow suit with what's already there. If I'm doing brand new code, oh, that's a great example because yeah. there have been def- there's definitely in times even in recent years where I've like followed suit with somebody else's Hungarian notation just yeah. to keep it consistent, yeah. even though a little bit of me died inside. Yes. I was like, okay, fine, I'll do this. Yeah. So, but but no, what I'm saying is like, what I like to do is like, let's say let's say for some reason I have a private. Uh, let's talk specifically about C sharp, okay? So I have an auto property, mm-hmm. and maybe I have it private for some reason or even protected. But um, point is, is it's not public. Right. Um, but behind the scenes, there's a you know a private data member for that guy. I'll still have underscore and then lowercase whatever the that name is and i like that just so i can see you know my private variables um even though the the that property that goes along with it will not be lowercase right right i'll proper case that uh you know yeah i I mean there's so for anybody out there that wants to dig deeper into something like that there's there's guides like idiomatic guides for almost every language out there like uh, there's tons of them listed for like javascript there's some for c sharp there's some for java so Every one of them kind of uses their own conventions, and I'd say it's probably best to stick within the convention so that anybody that looks at it that's familiar with that language can pick up on it quickly. Um, going back, there were a couple of things I did want to hit on is noise words like data or info should be avoided. Because just about every object... Wait, what was the first one? Something? Data or info. Oh, okay. So if you have customer data or customer info, what's the difference? And why wouldn't that customer object have data in it or info in it? You know what yeah, I'm saying? I might be bad about the data one though. <clears throat> and, and, and specifically what I'm thinking about is there's like some charting packages that come to mind where, uh, you know, you're specifically throwing some data at it. And, uh, you know, in that case, I'm bad about it. I'll name it data. I should probably name it something more meaningful, like array, you know, or, or series. You know, Series or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I should. Okay, fine. Slap my hand. <laughs> um, oh, I'm horrible. There was also the uh, it, so those are what they they dubbed non-informative words, right? Like data and info, because they don't tell you anything. You have no idea what that really means. W- what kind of data are we looking at? What kind of information is this? Yeah. Well, there was another point that they make that was kind of similar to that, where they said, you know. What's the difference if you have a controller and a manager and a driver all in the same code base? Right. What's the difference between these? Right. Right. But the one take on that that I had, and I specifically, I, you know, I went back and looking for it because I remember reading it. And like I said, it, it had been a little bit since I read it, but I remembered reading something in here where they specifically harped on the use of the word controller as part of your class name. Do you remember reading that too? It's in there. It's right and, there in that section you talked about. And I, and I couldn't find it uh, to go back and mark it because uh, I specifically want to quote it out. But I was like, wait a minute, that's not fair because that's controller specifically goes back to what we talked about a moment ago about like there are concepts that programmers and software developers are familiar with, right? And so if you tell me that something is a controller, then I'm automatically thinking MVC, right? right? So I feel like that one's fair to have in your code base. Like, that's a gimme. You're allowed that one. But you know what? This is also, like you said... This no, was 2005, man. Was MVC a big thing back then? I don't know that it was. It, it, but, it, but it was out, though. Okay. I mean, it was definitely out. 
whether you know, I don't want to argue about being big thing or not because that could be subjective. But you right. Know, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, not everything should be taken completely. If you have some variable in in you know, it's called a view, or you have some variable that's called something controller. Like I'm automatically going to make my assumptions about what that thing is. So I feel like controller when I didn't. But the funny part about that though is that coincidentally. Uh, as I was preparing for this show and and reading that section, not like just days before there, I had created something or I was working on something that I had created where the class name was manager. And a little part of me was like, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Why did I do that? That's not, wait, no. The manager, that one's okay, right? That one's that one's good. Uh, Is this like the data thing? So getting, getting back on, I mean, this whole section is about names, but... There were a couple of other things that I thought were kind of kind of good, and you hit on one a minute ago with OBJ. They say avoid encoding names. So taking something and shrinking it, right? Like table should be table. Don't name it TBL. Right. Um, don't name something OBJ because in different contexts, those might actually mean different things, right? I mean, who knows what they are? <laughs> so, so those are big ones. Like type the name out. Who cares if it's a little bit long? We have editors now that'll auto complete those things for you. Um, yeah, I you know, but but to that point though, there was one great point here. So, so I made the the conversation or you know the point that there were times even in recent past where I've done the um um the Hungarian notation and felt bad about it. But they talk about a, a consistent lexicon. Yes. is the mo- is what really matters the most. And they were specifically referring to the whole uh concept about the manager controller and whatnot. But I kind of felt like that same principle applies even to the Hungarian notation, which is why I did it. Because yeah. ju- you know, ultimately, you know, a bad uh, a, a consistent pattern is worse, you know, even if it's a bad consistent pattern that you don't you might not be a fan of, okay? But if it's consistent, then you can at least work with it rather yes. than, you know, interjecting a bunch of things here and there that, you know, don't make sense, right? Totally. So. Um, hold on a second. I just lost my place. Oh, so one of the other things, too, make the names pronounceable. And he they get into a, a whole lot deeper into this particular topic than really what I'm going to go into. But the thing is, our brains work with vocabulary that we know. And so if you use names that are pronounceable, it'll be easy for you to talk about it with somebody else, which is a big deal, right? I think that was the section two where I was talking about like having to make a mental map between what something uh, translated to or meant, right? No, that, that, that was actually the variables, and that's what I wanted to talk about. So with oh, the I's, the J's, K's, and that kind of stuff. So what they were – and we'll touch on that real quick, seeing as how you brought it up, oh. is one of the problems is – when you do like nested loops and you're trying to just make your variable names as short as possible, the problem is it makes you mentally have to map things. Right. And so if you did something in code that was 30 lines up, if you're making it to where people have to think about and remember what each one of those variables map to, right? Like, so I was an account and J was a user and K was, you know, some transaction, if you have to map all that in your mind, it's going to break down and you're going to have problems. Well, again, I mean, from start, though, if you have a 30-line function and then it's already too big, 
right? That's what that's what he said. He, but, he wants but, to keep them short. Yeah, this this was specifically so. Now that now that I went back and looked at this, this specifically was the area where it was like, okay, you know, single letter variable names are. Uh, there is a problem with single letter variable names. Certainly, loop counters can be named I, J, or K, though never L, uh, if the scope is small. Yes. And that goes back to the point that I was talking about earlier. So if the scope is small, then you can easily see what it is. And 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 it says that. Uh, these single letter names are okay for loop counter counters because it's traditional, right? Yep. I mean, I mean, I think for int i equals zero is just ingrained into my everybody's. Yeah, that, that, that's just how I talk. That's probably how everybody learned their for loops. Um, now here is an interesting one though <clears throat> that it was talking about like uh, you know don't make a pun in your in your names <laughs> and. Um, Specifically, this one this one kind of threw me because it was talking about add. It was saying like don't don't have a method name. They give this specifically the example of don't give a don't have a method name like add unless it's actually adding two things and returning back a result. Yep. And I don't know about you when you read this section, but immediately I thought of list dot add, and I'm like, well, wait, that totally breaks this example. I mean, they even give. Um, an example where it was kind of uh, along the lines of list.add. So they did, and what they said is the problem The problem is like your list.add is growing a collection. And they said if you have another class and you're just trying to stay consistent, but you only have a single value to set, if you do a dot .add there, the user has, the, the programmer has this expectation that you're adding to a collection. And so it's not clear. So... And when they say pun, they're not talking about funny puns like what we might do. They're literally just talking about you have the same name type thing, so you expect them to do the same, but one does something differently. And that's the problem right there. Well, yeah. They, I mean, they specifically say in the you know as it relates to the collection that you should use a dot insert or a dot append uh, as the method name because also uh, the dot add in uh, the mind of the author was that, you know, Kind of implied that you could chain it, right? So you could do dot add, dot add, dot mm-hmm. add. But because it's returning back a con, you know concatenated result of whatever the first two were, so I thought that was interesting because uh, that means that that's one that Microsoft made a boo boo on, and it wasn't me this time. <laughs> so here's one. Speaking of Microsoft and actually Java, and this is one that has come up in Slack several times is. Decorating interfaces or classes with a prefix or a suffix. So in dot that was in here? Yeah, dude. So in dot net, it was about midway through the chapter. Um in dot net, it's pretty standard that you name your interfaces with I and then whatever it's going to be, right? Oh right, there it was. Yep. And yeah. and it, it was funny, so I completely disagree with the author on this particular take because he preferred, if you were going to do it, that you do class impl or class imp. And I, I can't stand that. I don't know why, but I, I, it drives me crazy. But I will say, I do agree to a certain extent that what he was saying is naming your your interfaces with I interface or your classes with class imp is telling the programmer too much about what it does. You're giving them something that should be able to do something, so it's a type. You shouldn't have to care that it's an interface that has no real implementation. So if you have a car, it should be car, not iCar. So I get that, but just by 
practice, at least in C Sharp and the, the Windows.net world, that's just kind of how they've done everything, so it's easy to follow suit. But I do, on, on a very base level of OO, I agree with the whole, it's a type. It, you, you shouldn't have to call out that it's an interface. Yeah, I mean, this is one where, again... If I'm doing if okay, if I'm working on my own thing and it's all greenfield and and I'm left to my own devices, then um, I like the I prefix better than the impl or the imp. Same here. Uh, um, you know, either either prefix or suffix, depending on which way you want to go. But if I'm working in a code base where one or the other is already the uh, common. Uh, you know, pattern, then fine. I'll follow suit with it. Yep. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not against that. And I think that that's because though, that the author was more of a Java developer or at least at the time. Well, I mean, looking at all the code samples and everything he referenced, it was all Java. Yeah. Well, there's a, like I said, there's a mix of authors. And so each author is coming from their own Uh, language, uh, choices there. And that's why I called out that, um, the the list dot add because I thought that was interesting. Now when I was talking about the the you know factory means something right. Mm-hmm. They, they were specifically you know referring to that as solution domain names. So yep. you know uh, they made the point of like you know if you name something a visitor then it better follow the visitor pattern because yep. that's what software developers think of when they see something called visitor. Yeah, they call that out directly, and that's that's smart. Like, if you have a class that's a factory, name it something factory. If it's a visitor pattern, name it. If it's strategy, whatever, name them. And, and that's actually twofold, right? That not only makes it so that programmers will see it, but newer programmers will learn from it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's a good way. It's a good teaching mechanism because now they get to see that in practice. And so the next time they see that pattern, it'll automatically click. Oh, I know how that, I know where to go in this code to figure out what it's going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you don't, if you see something that's, uh, let's say, uh, air traffic mediator, mm-hmm. right. And you look at this code and you can't even understand it, but you could at least say, okay, what's well, a mediator. That's a mediator pattern. Let me go make sure, let me study up on what the mediator pattern yep. does. And then now that this information is fresh in my mind again, let me take another stab at looking at this. So it it not only does it help, but it gives you like another uh, way to like try to reason the code. Yeah, right? totally. And I think that's I think that's killer. Uh, here were two things that are quick ones that I, that I've never thought about. It makes so much sense. I've probably followed this and didn't even realize it. Class names should be nouns. Method names should be verbs. Yeah. I definitely think I remember hearing that more like as Java was taking off. I remember that becoming a bigger thing, but maybe I'm just thinking of the get and set. So that was the other thing. He said, you know, at least by or whoever this particular author was, you know, get and set and is are Java bean standards. So that's why those should be used. So, I mean, whatever your preferred language is, if there is a particular set of ways that they do things, you should follow suit because it'll be familiar. Yeah, I feel like the uh, C sharp with its sugar kind of blurs that a little bit, though, right? Because if you have auto properties, then technically behind the scenes, you know, it's creating getter and setter methods, but you might have a property named after the noun that it, um, you know, represents, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you might have, a, you know, a person property, and and you just call the you know, um, 
but behind the scenes is you know the compiler is creating the get person set person for you but you're calling it a noun even though really behind the scenes it's going to be a verb right but i guess it is verbalized 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 that sounded it, it is <laughs> i mean i verbalized verbalized but um so i mean i guess behind the scenes it does get verbed so the, the here was one that I really liked, and I'm trying to find it back in the book. I, w- I wish I tried not to mark the book up because uh, apparently we're going to be giving some away, but I guess not this one. You know, a few. Um, what? So I was totally going to give this one away with all my pretty notes. This is one that I really like, dude. When constructors are overloaded, use static factory methods with explicit names. Oh, right. And this this comes back to there's another later in the book. They get it talking about how um, functions with uh, where you pass in a lot of variables, the more variables you have to pass in, the worse it gets, right? So if you're having to overload your constructor because you're passing in more variables or different variables, then it would just make more sense to uh, use uh, uh, either a factory or a factory pattern, uh, you know, method pattern uh, to create that object. Yeah, it, uh, that's so cool to me. I, I mean, I'd never really thought about it. And for, for anybody that doesn't get what we're saying here, like y- when you have your class and you have a constructor, if you have two or three constructors, right? Like, uh, Well, we talked about this before, right? So there's the factory method pattern, which is not a factory okay, right. object. Right. But you could just say, like, let's say you have some kind of an uh, – let's say you have some kind of a – um, class name that I don't know what would be a good one. Let's do let's do but, person with a. Um, well, uh, no, well, I have a specific one because this goes back to the conversation at that time, and I don't remember what episode number that was. But you might have a factory method called create pepperoni pizza, and it already knows everything that has to be done for a pepperoni yes. pizza, so it's going to return back the pizza object. With as pepperoni. you know, as it needs to be configured as a pepperoni pizza, yes. and you could have a you know create meat lovers pizza. Yes, uh, con- you know factory method that would return back the other one. Now there is the factory object that you could use as well, where maybe you pass in you know an enum as to like what type you want. But there's the factory method pattern that you could also follow here, which is what they were talking about in yeah. this example. So the difference is, is instead of calling a pizza class that now has four different constructors in it, right? One for your pepperoni, one for your Supreme, one for your meat lovers. Instead of having to call new pizza and then pass in like your toppings, your various different toppings. Now you could just say, you know, pizza factory dot create pepperoni pizza, pizza factory dot create Supreme pizza. And it's more readable. And that's, that's one of the key things that they talk about is being able to look at and read the code like it's a paragraph. Right. right? Like it's, it's English. You can understand it as a person because you can look at it and see that this function name, okay, I know what that does. You know, as opposed to new pizza and then a whole list of parameters, right? Yeah. If you, ha- if you had a whole list of ingredients, you know, I'm not a chef. Right. Right. So you might pass in that whole list of ingredients into the, you know, you might have a pizza.create method or even just a pizza constructor and you pass in a list of ingredients. Well, I'm not a chef, so I'm not going to look at those and immediately go, oh, I get it. That's a meat lover's pizza. But if you have a, if you have a factory method pattern that's like pizza.create pepperoni pizza that returns back a pizza object that is 
already configured, then everyone's going to understand. It's and obvious. oh, by the way, guess who now wants a pizza? Well, by the way, I'm pretty certain <laughs> that if we saw a list of toppings on a pizza factory, I'm pretty certain we would pick it out. <laughs> I'm just saying. It depended on. It would depend on like how granular the list of. Uh, ingredients got right okay if, if it's like you know oregano and uh yeah i don't even know what i don't even know what's in a pizza is oregano even in it yeah it this be. is where i'm saying like i'm not a chef okay so i just need it you know i mean you put awesome food in my face and i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in my face and eat it but <laughs> but i don't know what i don't know what went in it yeah i don't know that that's other that's someone else's magic job you don't use those online tools to build your own pizza come on man what yeah, but but they're not getting to. But that's okay. So that's your point is that it, maybe if you saw uh, the list of ingredients as pepperoni, bacon, ham, uh, you know, meatballs or whatever, like you, maybe you would look at that and go, "Oh, that's meat lovers." Right. But if you saw, um, you know, in addition to all that, like a lot more granularity in terms of the ingredients, then you wouldn't. Yeah. And that's the that's the point that I was trying to make with that. Yeah, totally. Is that you know. If you saw a granular list like that, you're going to look at that and go, wait, what are they doing here? Yeah, so the key there is create a method that the name is completely obvious as to what it is. Right. So I know we I know we kind of beat that one up, but whatever. Um, I don't think so. We haven't ordered a pizza yet. No, we haven't. I'm about to, though. Hold on. What's your address? <laughs> All right. One of, the, one of the other things was they said, don't get cute with naming. And, and we've probably been, been – we've probably all done this. Like there's an inside joke. That the, you and your group of people that you work with, you know, you all know about. It's somewhat in context of what you're doing, but it's funny. The people that come after you are going to have no idea what that is. Oh, right. And so, so it's lost, and now you've created confusion simply to get a laugh that's basically going to disappear. Yeah, I don't remember so. the example that they had. They had like some long name where everyone had abbreviated it by just the first letters, and then they were pronouncing it funny. And I don't recall what it was, but I'm trying to think like if we've ever been involved in this, or if I've ever been in a situation like that. I don't. I I can't remember a situation where I've done that, but I'm not saying I haven't. I mean, I've definitely I've definitely heard of projects that get that type of status about it, where like you know, here's that that server that's sitting out there that's been sitting out there for the past decade that's running some app that was originally written as just a Perl. Uh, you know, a piece of Perl code that wasn't it really intended to become what it evolved into, but now it's this full-fledged, you know, application thing that has kind of like just grown over time. Uh, but a single variable name or class or function, like I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a, that example. Yeah. So here we're, I think we're kind of getting close to the end of this one. One of the, uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is, when you can, use technical terms that other programmers are going to understand when you're naming things. Uh, this goes back to the, uh, the uh, solution domain. The domain, right. right. When there's not a term that you can come up to describe what you need, then you fall back to the business domain. So if you're working in a customer service type environment or something like that, if you can't explain it in words that other programmers are going to understand, then you need to fall back to what their terminologies are and use that. And then that way there is at least a domain of knowledge around that. So in other words, no foobars. Probably no foobars. Well, I don't know. Everybody understands foobars. Yeah, it means nothing. <laughs> it does. You know, another one that's kind of like that, though, but that actually, I guess, does mean something is widget. 
Yeah, I totally. hate it when I see that. Yeah, widgets complete garbage, right? Because it's like that that's like the one term you use in school to describe like a factory that creates something and you don't want to actually have to make something up. So you're like, let's just pretend it creates something and we're gonna call that something a widget, which yes. is a meaningless thing. And then but by the way, we get into real world scenarios and we're like, okay, so we're gonna create a widget. We're gonna have this class as a widget. And you're like, wait, well, but what? I can't but, stand widget. <laughs> Yeah, uh, unfortunately, several frameworks out there use the term widget, and I just—I don't know—it just kind of proliferates. It's a thing. Um, another one is one way that you can make things make more sense is put them in context, right? So, so you talked about earlier putting name inside a class now oh, has right. the context of that class, right? So. So instead of prepending a bunch of names, so what they talked about is like, let's say that you have a person class. Like some people do person first name, person last name, person, you know, whatever. Right. And that is redundant and just becomes cluttered. And if you go to try and use auto type or autocomplete and you hit P, now you've got a list of 50 parameters that show up. Instead of doing that, put those values inside your class. So now you have a person object that has first name, last name, whatever. So yeah, I mean, I specifically uh, gave the example about the addresses, and and that's what this is. Um, this section was referring to w- was talking about addresses, and they actually gave the examples of like you know things like uh, an account address or a customer address. Those might be fine uh, instance names for instances of, of that object, but the object would just be address, right? Right. right. Um, but maybe specifically as it relates to address, they did give. Uh, a little bit of leeway that you might be better off to name it something like postal address. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Hold on, hold on. Two oh, more. Two you more, got two more. Two more little things. Holy moly, man. One is a quote. It's amazing. Like we've always said, the hardest things about programming are naming. And- oh, the two hardest things of programming are totally naming things, right? Mm-hmm. Cache invalidation and off by one errors. So, I mean, this, I know that this one's kind of gone long, but. Naming is huge. Like it's, it really is the hardest thing, and especially making it so that other people can follow suit. But one of the quotes here that I really liked is, "The hardest thing about choosing good names is that it requires good descriptive skills and a shared cultural background." Mm. I thought that was so key because, um, if you're working with somebody that's from another country or even another region of your country. Certain concepts aren't the same. They, they, we talked about this in the past. Like they had asked, um, there was a survey done just to kind of find out about cultural differences. And if you ran out of ketchup, what would you oh, get right. to substitute, right? And depending on what area of, of the United States you lived in, some people kept their ketchup in their pantry. Others kept it in the refrigerator. So they had different substitution things in their mind depending on the vicinity of where their ketchup is stored. And, and so – that whole thing is amazing to me. Well, I mean, here, kind of going along with that, though, like not all English is the same, right? right. So even if we were to just compare, for example, uh, you know, the UK versus the US, right? There are words that's the same word spelled the same way that each you know country uses, but they have different, me- they'll mean different things, especially like if it's, you know, in a slang, t- uh, you know, uh, instance, right? And if you were to... Um, you name your variables, something like that, Eat, going back to the don't try to be funny. But if you right. did, then maybe it might have a completely different context. It could be completely offensive yeah, totally. you know, to someone else. Yep. 
Hopefully you're not doing that in your code. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things to be aware of. And it's so true. It really is sometimes hard to do because you have to be you have to be analytical as a programmer, but you have to be very descriptive in the way that you that you make these things. And so it can be difficult. The thing I liked about that um uh, that paragraph or section or whatever where they where they mentioned that though was that it almost felt like it was talking about like okay, there's there's different brained people, right? And being descriptive isn't um, you know, that that's a level of creativity that is not what we are good at. Yeah. I right. Mean, it, like we're good challenge. at like problem solving and, you know, analytical kind of things. But, uh, you know, naming something means com- being creative on the other side of your brain. And that's why we're so bad at it. That's why it's so difficult. Yep. Totally. Um, and then one so from the- now on, I'm just naming all my variables after CSS values. There we go. <laughs> that, well, at least you'll have an infant number. Of, They're uh, all colors. Possibilities. Hex colors. <laughs> I think that would be meaningful, right? Oh, man. FF00BB. <laughs> Fob. <laughs> Foob. Foob. Yes. Um, and then the last thing here, and this goes back to what Michael said about the Boy Scout rule, is renaming things that don't make sense as you work in your code is a good thing. Period. Right. It is. It, yeah. I mean, if you got an opportunity, if you see something that doesn't make sense, then in my opinion, it is your duty to to correct that. You should see that as a bug and fix it. <laughs> bug. Honestly. It kind of is. Because if you can't read it, yeah. if you have to look at it and it takes you a moment to figure out, like, they actually... Um, oh, it's coming up later in the yes. next chapter. Yes. There was another section where they actually time box it. If you couldn't look at a function, and I want to say it was three minutes was the time that they gave. If you couldn't look at that function within three minutes, know exactly what it does, then something's wrong with that function. It needs to be rewritten. Right? Yep. Like it's doing too much or it's too confusing. It could just be that there's a bunch of bad names in it. Who knows? Yep. But yeah, if you see something that is named poorly that that doesn't make sense or maybe it's misinformation or maybe uh it used to be typed a certain way and now it isn't yep it that is a bug it might not be a functional bug but it's a consider it a literary bug and it could actually create bugs because of misunderstanding it could you're very very true and very well could so here we go now we are actually getting into the next chapter which would be chapter three Man, and that is functions. Wow, you should look at the timer. <laughs> what where are we at? Um all right, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, do we want to we want to try to do all three of these tonight or just uh, maybe do two? Wait, where did you put the timer? I can't find Um it. it was in the notes. I can ping it back to you, but yeah, ping it. I, I can't I don't see it. Um I don't want to see. Oh, here it is. Yeah. It wasn't open. So Wait, where did it go? <laughs> let's get into functions, right? Wait, I still don't see it. Oh my gosh, Alan. <laughs> How do I how do I share things with you and you not see this? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you again, and we're probably gonna hear your computer ding because you didn't mute it, did you? Or did, did you? Wait, is this in Gmail? Where are you putting? This? No, 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 no. It was just in the in the the doc there. It's not. All right, know, I'll, I'll special for you, Alan. Here it comes. All right, where are you giving it to me? Bing. I right. binged it. I binged it because everyone uses Bing. Man, oh, all right. I don't believe any of this. You still didn't get it. Oh, hold on. You sent it to me in the other one. Now I can get that. Hold on. Let me take a look. Where are we at? All right. It's right here. Wow. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So we've talked a while just about uh, names and naming. Oh. It was kind of the point that I was making. It, uh, hmm. 
<laughs> this is what happens when Joe isn't around. We have to do these like real time edits on the fly. So I'm going to say like we just do the two because we've already gone on for this one. So yes. uh, in which case, then we want to ask dear listener for a special favor. Yes. And it's my turn to beg. Um <laughs> I like how we just are so blatant about it. Like we're gonna beg. What is this beg? Yeah, I guess it is. Look, guys, if you if you enjoy this show, which hopefully you do, hopefully you're listening because somebody told you about it and they wanted to share the joy and the knowledge that we sometimes drop on here. Um, you know, please do take a few minutes when you get home or after you're done cutting your grass or whatever, and just go into iTunes if you haven't installed and. You know, click the five or click whatever you feel is appropriate. It's totally a five star. Totally a five star. And and leave us a comment, man. Like, it seriously makes our day. If you were like me and you hate iTunes and you don't want to install it, you know, head over to Stitcher and, you know, sign up for an account or something and leave us a review there. At least you can do all that on the web. Um, But seriously, that is like the one way that you can give back to us that is absolutely amazing because it helps us get out there and, you know, get a bigger audience. And, we have an amazing Slack channel, and that's all growing because of this type of stuff. And and when I say that we have an amazing Slack channel, like it, it is, and we get compliments on that all the time. People love that, and you know what? We love the opportunity to be able to interact with you. And apparently, you guys enjoy the opportunity to interact with each other, which is amazing. That's the most amazing part about it. Yeah, because I mean, there's there's days like this week I was kind of slammed a little bit, and I didn't get to jump in there as much as I wanted. But I come back, and the conversation's still flowing, and it feels amazing. One of the most amazing comments that I read in the Slack channel recently, and I don't remember the name. Uh, you're going to call me out on it, I know. Uh, and I'm going to feel bad for not remembering this while you look it up. But there was a, a guy... Benjamin. Okay, yes. It, he, uh, said, he said it was 120 miles between him and the next closest developer mm-hmm. around. And so that was one of the things that he enjoyed about the Slack community was it was an opportunity for him to actually be able to uh, talk and communicate with other developer, like-minded developers um, while being so distant from you know, other developers. And I thought that's amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, we really have, and it's not, it's not me and Michael and Joe. I mean, yes, we get in there and we talk and all that, but, but everybody that's in there have created like, seriously, one of the best communities I've ever seen. And there are some great personalities in there too. Yeah. I mean, there's helpful stuff going on. There's funny things that happen. Like people constantly helping each other out. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely killer. And we've got a ton of different channels. There have been examples of just people saying like, Hey guys, uh, I'm updating my resume. Can somebody take a look at this link and tell me if you think this looks good, which is an amazing idea, right? right? Like what a way to get feedback. If you're actually on the hunt for a job and here's a community of hundreds of developers that you could just be like, you know, randomly throw it out there and you're going to get back like, you know, pull requests on your own resume. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So, and and seeing as I were speaking of Slack, you can head over to www.codingblocks.net slash Slack, drop in your email and you'll be in the club. Um, as far as leaving us a review, we want to make that easy as well. So head to www.codingblocks.net slash review and, you know, choose your platform. You can click the iTunes or the Stitcher link and it'll take you over there. But seriously, thank you for those who have filled out a review. And, and for those of you who are considering it now, please, please do that if you get a chance. So here's one of my favorite parts. It's the survey says section. (laughs) 
Ding. Survey says. <laughs> All right. So, man, what was the name of that show? A Family Feud, man. Family Feud, yes. Really? Oh, man, I love that show. <laughs> Maybe that should have been the next survey. What's the name of that show? Bing. Um, all right. So, the question from the survey from last episode was, what's your favorite source of caffeine? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. All right. Wow. I think uh, Joe must have left this. I think Joe did it, the show notes last time. Yeah, he did. I think he left it open for uh, people to <laughs> write in their own. There's like spice Because there's some amazing ones in here um, that, wait, are these even about, am I looking at the right one? It should be episode 46, right? Yeah, because there's a, oh, wait a minute. Like, for some reason, it seems like it's showing me mixed ones. I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, results that are from, uh, oh, yeah, totally. I'm seeing results. That's interesting. In our polling software here, it's showing me the, re- the answers that are also written in from other ones. So I'll have to be careful to uh, avoid those when I'm, when I'm giving you your options here, Alan. So listen up. You ready? I'm listening. So option number one is coffee, and not just any kind of coffee. Uh-uh-uh. As I wiggle my finger, uh-uh-uh. We're talking about fancy stuff here. Espressos, cold brews. We're not talking about just give me black coffee, <laughs> right? Or there's coffee, like for normal people. Like, you know, you take it black. Maybe you want a little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar, but none of this cappuccino or espresso Frappes. none of that you know like if hey, why, it's, did, why did we have to say that like that? <laughs> i was trying to be fancy about it <laughs> okay I, I that's all i was honestly trying to be was fancy um and i guess i'm bad at being fancy <laughs> uh or or the hard stuff which is like the five hour energy drinks or caffeine pills. I noticed that straight up injections were not offered as an option there. Did somebody wrote it in. Um, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, or anytime I could hear Michael's voice, it would be awesome. Oh, wait, that was from a previous poll, but it is still probably relevant because you get to hear my voice. Um, let's see. I think that might have been it, but there's a lot intermixed here. Okay. Um, energy drinks such as Red Bull. Or monster, your choice here. Hmm. Would Jolt Cola count as an energy drink, though? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I it's a cola. So. It is. I mean, it's in the name. It's just nothing but sugar. I don't even know how it's liquid. Well, okay. So speaking of, then we get sodas: Mountain Dew, Dr Pepper, Coke Zero. Who really? Why is that even on the list? Definitely, Jolt Cola should at least be given a mention. Yeah, I would agree. With and that. then you bring up the sugar because you have like the the throwbacks that Pepsi has brought back. So you have like the Mountain Dews made with real sugar. Man, those are so good. Or the Dr. Pepper's made with real sugar, which I think, yeah, maybe it's good, but it's also sad that it's come to that that they have to actually real qualify that this is a soda made with real sugar, and this other one. We're not really certain what it's made with, but we don't exactly want to tell you either. But legally, we had to put some name on it, so we're going to make it a lot of letters that nobody can pronounce. Called high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. All right. And then, then there's the option of none. My body is a temple. It's a wonderland. I don't need caffeine. All I'm right. high on life, baby. So I'm going to go ahead and say. Wait. That there's that one more one option. Nothing. <laughs> there's one more option for you, and this is for all of our our proper. English friends, 
All right. Okay. So we're talking to you tea. people, England, yes, <laughs> London. Uh, tea, hot, cold, doesn't matter. All the tea, give it to me, hmm. right? Which, if you know, I mean, hey, with your southern accent, Mister Californian, yes, southern, yes. you know, tea, sweet tea is an amazing thing. Speaking of sugar, sweet real tea. sugar at that. Sweet tea is sugar with a splash of water. Yeah, I mean, otherwise you didn't make it right. So, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say the body is my temple. That's like maybe one person ever even said anything okay. about that. Okay. Um. So that one's not going to win. I, I, I honestly think that it is going to boil down to either energy drinks, energy drinks, okay, or coffee. Regular, you know, give me some cream and sugar type. Okay. Well, let's say you have to pick one. I'm going to go with the coffee. Okay. You want to put a number behind it? You feel confident enough? Uh, or are you too afraid? 25. 25%. 25%. So you think it was you think coffee won by 25% and the other ones are scattered evenly enough to where they weren't they were, you know, maybe cuz 25 is a small number. So they're all relatively close, but 25 is the overall winner. Well, by price is right rules, you win, my friend. Sweet. This is the first time. <laughs> But but you're way off. Oh, is it way way higher? Coffee had just over fifty percent of the vote. Normal wow. coffee. Normal coffee. Not the espressos, not the fancy stuff. Just normal coffee with just over fifty percent of the vote. Now, here's where it's also interesting too that you're wrong. The the nun option, my body is a temple in a wonderland. Yeah, that was actually a lot more popular than you think. Really? It was more popular than the soda was. Man, we're programmers. We don't care about our bodies. I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't understand that at all. Actually, I take that back. I've actually known some programmers that are hardcore, like, workout nuts. Oh, no, there totally are. Yeah. There totally are a lot of those guys. I'm one of them. Thank yeah. you. Have you seen this? Check this out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally work out. Every time I walk around, I'm like, I work out. I work out. So, uh, yeah, no, the, the soda option was actually the least popular Really? Which blew me away. But I didn't say soda. I said uh, energy drinks. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, okay, then fine. That was not the least popular. (laughs) Right. I would imagine that's up there. That's pretty Um, close, right? No. No? No. Actually, the the coffees, both coffee options were the top picks. The none option was actually third. Interesting. Yeah. So it was either people like regular coffee, fancy coffee, or just nothing at all. Hmm. Right? But but the soda option was the least one popular one, and I remember like, you know, there was, you know, a period in my life where I I never would touch coffee at all, right? right? And I was totally like, Dr Pepper was my thing. That that was my go to right there. I mean, I would get, I would, it was fighting words. If you try to tell me that Mountain Dew was better than Dr Pepper. Because I'm like, uh-uh. But hold up, though. With sodas, though, there's always that crash period afterwards. Like, coffee don't typically get that, but with soda, like, I would remember you'd be you'd be ready, and then an hour later, you'd literally be drooling on yourself. You well, that's know? everything with sugar in it, man. Yeah, but coffee, coffee kind of keeps you sustained for a bit longer. Well, I mean, depends on how much sugar you put in it. You yeah, could have the same crash. Point. I mean, you if could. you have a, you have a sugar crash, you have a sugar crash. It doesn't matter what the injection is for that sugar crash, because even with like a an energy drink, a lot of those are you know ha, uh, you know have high high levels of sugar, major levels in them. of sugar. Yeah. So, I mean that that's why you have wings. Well, very cool. That's why you're flying. So, all so right. I got so, one right. Price so, right yeah, rules. yep, you got that one. So, chalk up a win. So. Then for the new survey for this episode, then 
Um, going back to uh, Ben... Ben Jam... Uh, no, uh, uh, it made me question then, like, well, because he said he'd only just recently attended a meetup, and I guess because of the distance, I don't blame him. Right. Um, but uh, the question is, do you regularly attend meetups or conferences in your area? So here are your options. Yes, because I need to get out of my command center every now and then. Mm-hmm. And and let's face it, it's really a command center. Have you seen, like, if you don't think it's a command center, then what is it, uh, Reddit's... Uh, Battle stations, Battle subreddit. Stations is amazing. Oh my god, it's totally a command center. Um, I mean, like even with our array of monitors around us, you know, in the glow of UV light that we bask in, it's totally a command center. Um, and then no, because who has time for that? Nobody has time for that. Like, why would I go to a, a meetup or a conference? Or no, and you got to say this one in the right way. No, because. I live in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> well, otherwise, otherwise, if I just read the words, you'd be like, wait, what? Oh, that's awesome. No, so you got you to gotta put on your best Axl Rose and, and read that one. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I am curious <laughs> what people are going to say here because, I mean, I know we try and get out to them on occasion. Um, not as much as we'd like to, but... Well, that's because we live in the jungle, baby. Yeah, we do kind of live in the jungle. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, looking at the time that we've done on this one, I, I think we we are going to just split this one and do the functions and the comments on the next episode. Oh, okay. Because this one will go long. So we do have one other thing that we want to talk about, though. So Outlaw made a comment to me recently that I have no idea where he was going with it. The best Android distribution is iOS. Okay. What in the Now, world? I know these are fighting words because between Alan... Okay, so here's what you might not understand, dear listener, <laughs> is that um, Alan, much to his credit, more so than a lot of other people that I, that I know, um, he flips around from devices, or at least he was. Actually, you haven't recently. I haven't. But, but like years. he was, for example... Uh, he was one of the few people that I knew that used Windows Phone, like, and that was his only device. Not just like, hey, I'm playing it because I have friends that was like, okay, yeah, I have you know, like three, you know, one of each platform, and I'll just switch the you know, swap the SIM out every now and then. Like, that was his go-to device, his only device for quite a long time, right? And then he ended up switching to Android, but when he left iOS, it was kind of like he left iOS. Well, a you know, early, uh, you know, because that was years ago. I was on the so in fairness, yeah, I was on the so so it was it was early compared to now, right? And um, but and maybe maybe it sounds like from the way you've described it, it was a little bitter because there were some things that you didn't like, right, about it. So I realized that my saying this statement is definitely fighting words like like he he definitely like his eyes one of his eyes just started fluttering like blinking really quick and the other one was just kind of like staring at me like would you just say right so so but here's my thinking on this though like especially and maybe this is because we are into gadgets or into technology i'm not sure but sometimes you just get bored Right. And you're like, okay, you know, half the fun of, you know, uh, switching operating systems is just because 
you know, you want that challenge. You want that fun. You're like, okay, how do I make this work again? How do I do that again? Right. You know, oh, that's command line, everything. <laughs> right. Um, so that's kind of fun. And so changing uh, platforms like mobile platforms can be the same thing. Right. Yep. So sometimes you might yeah, you know, I'm tired of iOS. I want to switch to Android or Windows phone or whatever. Right. But the thing is, is that they've gotten so just bleh. Like all of them. I don't care what it is. They're all so close to the same thing yep. that there's really not a whole lot of difference. So unless you're just really uh, entrenched into one of the ecosystems, that's the only reason why I could see why you'd really stay in one or the other. Because it's not, you, you will never convince me it's about one has some feature or some function that is so much more awesome than the other one, right? I mean, I, I, I know that people argue that all the time, and I see you trying to say that argument right now. No, actually, but, no. no. So I, I will agree with you to a certain standpoint. So, but here's my point, though, because like my one favorite thing when I was on Android, uh, it, it's, been, it's been what, two, a, years. two years now yeah. since, since I was last on Android yeah. as my, my main. Uh, an only device, but um, you know, I know like one of the things that a lot of people rave about as their favorite thing is the uh, the widgets. Yeah, the customizable the, things, the things that, that I hate. The, the the name that I hate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people like the widgets. I I never was a fan. Like I, it wasn't that I was anti them. It was just more like, eh. I mean, it's it's okay. I mean, the thing that, you know, more often than not, like, I didn't use them because, A, I never really found anything that I felt were meaningful. Yeah, see, that does nothing for me. I have a Roku controller widget on one yeah, of the Yeah, it's pages. like, why not just open the app then? You because have that. It's right there, man. And here's the, here's the thing that I hate about that. That widget takes up the entire screen, so now you have to have multiple pages. You have to increase your pages because widgets are taking up the bulk of the space. And so that's why I was always like, well, if I'm going to have a widget, it needs to be something extremely informative that launching the app just can't wait. I can't wait for that, right? Okay, yeah. And so that's why there never was anything that really was in that thing. Like maybe weather was about the closest thing that I really wanted to be able to just see at a glance, right? What about like a Reddit thing or, or nope. a Flipboard or any nope. of those? You didn't care nope. about the articles? No, I would rather just go into the app. And so I get it. Everybody has their own preference. And, and right. that was mine, is that right. I didn't want to waste the space for a widget for something like that. I'd rather just go into the app. And so there were very few things, and whether it might have been like the only one where I would really be okay with, let's conserve and let, let's use the space and you know force me to have to increase my page count right. uh, for icons. But the one number one thing that I absolutely loved about android is the um uh, google now oh it's beautiful google now is amazing i love it I, I, this, it is the number one it. thing that i always loved about android right but for years now i mean that has been available for ios as an app oh really yeah and so i get all the exact same benefit of it the same beauty of it the very only difference is that on my Android device, which I still have it was and play screen. around with, I could just scroll you know, all the way to the left and then boom, there it yeah. was, right? It wasn't an app you had to launch. Right, whereas this is an app. And that's really the only right. difference in the takeaway. And that's kind of what I was getting at is that like, you know, if you were entrenched into one ecosystem, then, you know, for me, which I do have a lot of, you know, iTunes related content, you know, music, because I've been on that platform forever. Right. But 
you know, having, uh, um, you know, the, the, you know, that, that one Google feature, I mean, because I can have maps, right. I can have a Gmail app, yeah. like, like name a name, a Google app that I could have on my Android phone that I'm not going to have on iOS. Yeah. Right now there's not, I mean, there, it, uh, and I doubt there will be for quite a while because I mean, it would be stupid for Google to yank those because they're going to get money off that stuff somehow. Right. And that's my point yeah. is that like, there's nothing because, because here's well here's, and here's why I bring this up. Cause I was getting, I, I've been getting kind of bored with, um, iOS, iOS. Yeah. and you know, while it was nine in fairness, iOS nine, uh, I was getting kind of bored with it. And, and you know, with each release of Android, you know, I'll, like I said, I still have my my Android device, and I'll play around with it. And every once in a while, I'll be like, maybe I'll swap out my SIM and and just use this one for a while. And then I look at it, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is really boring. There's really nothing here that's exciting. That's any that's you know, this doesn't. It's it's a stupid phone. Yeah, it's it, a stupid phone that makes stupid phone calls to make stupid text messages. They do all the same stupid stuff. They do. So iOS, I can do all the same stuff on ios that i can do on android but because of apple i can also do things that i can't do on the other which is why apple is the best version of android so i get i get what you're saying yeah i mean they've all kind of come to parity between the different platforms Uh, for a long time one of the big things for me is like uh, the hooks from different applications because on iOS a lot of things were sandboxed. I know they changed that recently yep. with one of the iOS versions, but like Well, that's actually changed that was changed a while back, but yeah. yeah. I think it was 6 or 7. I don't remember when they changed it, but but like on Android, if you if you found an article on the web that you liked, you could go to share and you could choose any number right. of apps that you wanted to share it to. And that was always huge to me. I liked that. Um but really honestly what it's boiled down to over time is iOS bores me to tears. I love it on an iPad because I'm consuming stuff, right? Like if you're on an iPad, you're consuming. On a phone, it just bores me to tears because I'm so tired of those square um, app launcher things and all that kind of stuff. But you mean icons? Yeah, <laughs> the, the the icons, square I, app launcher things. I, I can't. I, I literally like they they kill me. But you're right. They are all so much at parity right now that. Really, the the thing about a phone to me nowadays, with smartphones anyways, is what what is the feature that you want? Like like what you said, right? Like it makes total sense for a person who has kids and wants to capture every moment of their lives to have either an iPhone or a Galaxy, right? Those have fantastic cameras. They're going to work. Uh, my next well, unless six, you want that Galaxy Seven to blow up in your face. In no, no, case. no. That's the Note. Oh, I'm sorry, the, the Galaxy Note, Note Seven. Um, uh, the uh, like my six P, it takes great pictures, so I'm happy with that. But like they're starting to do things with phones that are kind of interesting. Even the picture thing, though, man, like that's getting to where it's like, okay, it, who really cares? It, it can be. It I mean, I know be. that like you you still hear reports about people saying that even though iOS or Apple might not use the most megapixel camera that some other Android one has, they still do a better quality a job. Software. Yeah, the software makes up for it, makes it so much better. Okay, fine, whatever. Who cares? You know, the point is, is that they're all close enough. They're like they're for good. the for the average person taking a photo of your kids or something at any one given moment. Like, eh, I yeah. mean, yeah. So that's one. But the other thing is, it's starting to get interesting. So, like, some of the phones that have been built recently, they've been built with like high end DACs for people that love audio. 
So if you have a nice set of headphones and you want to hear music in the Oh, I feel like this is a dog at iPhone 7 coming. No, no, not not at all. Um I mean, they've gone an opposite route. Like they're going wireless, right? And some people really appreciate that. Others won't. So I don't know, man. Like the one thing I will say is Windows has kind of that's left me. <laughs> I feel like Windows has given up. They, I think I they mean, have. it doesn't feel like I mean, um, and maybe I'm just behind the times for not falling up because, man, that you don't hear anything about that. No, Nokia kind of has kind of not done anything in a while, and they've been talking about a Surface phone, but it, that sounds like that's going to be more proof of concept type stuff that they just want to see the, uh, what is it called, the UWP Universal uh, I feel like at this Windows point, Microsoft platform. should just embrace Android and go all in. Use it. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's kind of interesting, but I do agree. Like, they're all at pretty much parity now. And the reason why I buy the phones I do is because they're cheaper than an I. I can't pay $1,000 for an iPhone. I have a hard time doing it. That 6P wasn't cheap. The 6P was 450 500 maybe. I mean, it was half. And that's, you know, that's a big deal. So, and especially considering, like you said, I, I kind of go through phones on occasion. So... Now here's the yeah, more than anyone I know. <laughs> now here's the here's the yeah. I mean you're hard on phones, man. <laughs> I think I think in the time we've known each other, I've had like a couple, and that's just because like there was a new one that came out. But I've you'll go a, through a couple in a year because you break them. I've had a couple more for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're rough man. You you need to buy an insurance plan. Uh, now here's the interesting though that I just noticed with iOS 10, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but. Um, before, like one of the things going back to the comparison of Google and, I, and iOS is that, you know, with Google, if you didn't like the mail app, you could replace it, right? right? You could use something else. And now in iOS 10, like you could totally delete a bunch of the default apps. You said that earlier. That's, you know, I sent you, you a screenshot. It? Have you tried it? I haven't yet tried it because <laughs> maybe, probably. Because they didn't realize that they accidentally turned that off. <laughs> and well, you're no. Delete it, the I mean, whole gonna break. there and it's interesting though because they're they're selective about what apps you know you can do that with. But there are definitely like the calendar app. You can if you don't like the iOS calendar app, you can now delete the calendar app. You could delete the mail app. That's right. Cool. So I haven't tried this yet, but it's totally interesting. There's, I'm going to have to play around with that and be like deleting some apps. And then when I can no longer make a phone call and I brick my phone, I'm <laughs> right. like, um, hey, Alan, you got an extra Android device I could borrow? I probably do. Probably. Um, I, I will say there is one feature that is on phones now that I pretty much wouldn't be able to live without, and that is the fingerprint sensor, right? I mean, Apple made it, made it the thing, and it really it changes – the frustration level with phones, especially when you use things like LastPass. Now, here's one thing that I still like about, I still feel like from a security point of view, and when it, when you talk about the hardware being integrated with the software, they do. They do I feel best. like they got it better than the Android platform. That's why I actually buy so, Nexus devices, though, because I actually want it to be as close agreed. as possible to what Google has yes. plans for. So Yes, I, I totally agree with you on that. But So, yep. Uh, so I guess we all agree that iOS is the best Android distribution. <laughs> so in, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. You might. Um, uh, so in the resources we like, you know, uh, obviously clean code. Yep. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, let's go on to Alan's favorite, favorite, most favorite portion of the show. Or it's tip, the tip of the week. The millennia. No, wait, what? I need new words for this. Oh, every time. come on. All right, so I, I don't think I've done this one before. Um, 
at one point I was, you know, working on a side project, one of the 50 that I've tried and haven't finished. <laughs> and there was something I came across that I thought was awesome. So when you're setting up an application and, and you want people to be able to log into it or whatever, you can go many different routes, right? Well, one of the ones I like that I think would bring people into your platform easier is using OAuth. And so you can auth- authenticate with Facebook, authenticate with Google+, Microsoft, whatever, right? Like, there's tons of services out there. And Meteor makes it so easy to Meteor, use. Oh, my God. Meteor was amazing. I, I don't know why I stopped looking at that. But but at any rate, I digress. So back to this. There is one, if you're a .NET developer specifically, sorry, everybody else, this tip is for, for .NET people. They have there's a website called OAuth for ASP.net.com and it's got <laughs> code samples. Yeah, Did no. you say ASP.net.com? No, no. OAuth for ASPnet.com. Okay. I, say, I think I, did I thought say you .net. I thought you said ASP.net.com and I'm like, wow, that's not confusing at all. All right, let me rewind here. <laughs> OAuth for ASPnet.com. <laughs> all right, there we go. So what's really cool is if you go up to this site, they have samples for basically connecting to just tons and tons of different things. And it looks like I put the wrong link in here because it took me to one of my other tips. I was going to say, like, um, (laughs) I don't think this is what you want, but we can talk about Selenium if you want. Yeah, that's that's another one. But no, so, like, here's a few of them. They have it for Buffer, Foursquare, Facebook, Google, GitHub, Dropbox, Instagram, Microsoft, LinkedIn, OpenID, Shopify, Salesforce, Reddit, blah, 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 blah. So you can literally go up here, get code snippets for how to do it. They have walkthroughs. They have videos on some of them, and they have the code. So you can literally sit there and figure out how to do it, plug it into your own app that you want to make available that people can authenticate with, and you're there. That's awesome. That's pretty cool, right? I, I mean, and, and to be honest, I actually did step through one or two of these. It's so easy. I mean, it, it really... If you set it up to where you can work with the OAuth, it, it's amazing, right? And and now you've opened up your platform. Like I'm looking at the people. one for GitHub, and there's three steps. There's four total, right? But the fourth one is just advanced configuration. Yeah. The first hard. three are really all you need, and they fit on the same screen. Like I don't even have to scroll to see it. I can read those three steps. It's absolutely killer, man. Absolutely killer. So definitely if you are writing an app and you need to and you want people to come into your app and participate, make it easy for them. If they already have a Facebook account, let them authenticate with Facebook, right? Don't force them to sign up for an account to get into your app. Well done, sirs, that created this. And, you know, and here's another cool thing, too, is like you click on uh, some of these and you can fork the directions that they give on GitHub. Isn't that awesome? So, so they give you the directions on like how to do this, and it's just a readme file, right? But you could, you could uh, fork that on GitHub to, you know, what do whatever you wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, you I don't could know improve why. it. You could do whatever, right? I guess. I suppose. Well, if you're going to fork it, you're not necessarily uh, contributing back. But well, yeah, good whatever. Point. It's cool nonetheless. Okay, and so engineer again for you, buddy. Here's the tip of the week: get out there, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, yeah. So he kind of inspired this one was that uh, you know at least in the Atlanta area. There are a couple great conferences coming up here in October that there's still an opportunity for Alan to sign up for. 
God, I need to. Um, I keep forgetting. The first, the big one, uh, you know, for the Atlanta area is Connect Tech, previously known as Connect JS. So that's October twentieth through the twenty second. Uh, look forward to seeing you there. Come find us. Uh, and then the one before that, which will be you know just a one day uh, event, which is Atlanta Code Camp. October 15th is coming up. So if you're in the area and you have the time or ability to make either one of those, I uh, would definitely recommend it. And if you happen to see us there, feel free to you know say hi, introduce yourself. Uh, we love to meet new people. But if you're not in the Atlanta area, there are events around you. Take the time to find them. Uh, meetup.com is a great way to find uh you know, events that are going on around you that aren't as formal as a conference necessarily, but you know, it's an opportunity to network. It's an opportunity to uh, learn about new technologies or ways to do things with technologies you're already familiar with. So I highly recommend it. Go out there, take a step outside of your command center every now and then and uh, get out there. Yep. Excellent tip. And with that wrapping up, we've covered chapters two through two. Yeah. <laughs> Alan got a little wordy. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, so I, we'll be picking <laughs> back two through two. <laughs> we'll be picking back up on this in the next episode. So, you know, stay tuned for that. And so how do we want to give these bad boys away? Matt, I don't have any clue. What do you want to do? All right. Let's say um, comments on our on the. Oh, post. totally love that one. So let's do this. So. In uh, this will be consistent with how we've done other giveaways then. So go to www.codingblocks.net slash episode 47, and there you will find a comments section. And feel free to leave some comments there, and we will put all of those names in a hat, and we will draw from those. And the first th- or the three names that we draw from that collection will get a copy of Clean Code shipped to them. And, and check it out, guys, just so you know. I mean, this isn't this isn't a garbage one. Like, the book is currently $30 on Amazon, and the Kindle version is $26.99. And I would imagine we could we could probably do either. You know, we could we could ask for a preference. I, I would personally want the Kindle if if it were coming to me, but um Oh, yeah. so we weren't gonna ship these direct I was gonna ship this copy. Or if you don't want to, well, I was just going to do. Well, I mean, as soon as you're giving away our source, I can't. I can't. I gotta have it. <laughs> well, I mean, we buy another one. I'll just buy another Kindle one. So yeah, I mean, you tell us. Do you want the Kindle or you want a paperback? And you know, obviously, you're gonna have to leave a comment. And and you know, they can be funny. They can be informative. They can be whatever. Oh yeah, we've had some great ones in the past. Yes, in, in these contests where uh, they have gone into lyrical form. Yes. Yes. So. You know, break out your best M M&M. and M or vanilla ice. Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe <laughs> might want to stay away. He wasn't as he didn't have the staying power that M M&M has had. Man, that guy still has had, li- yeah. those lyrics are still in this head. Like that's impressive from stuff. the one song. The, the, yeah, know? the one song yeah. was. You know, I mean, I get it. You're rolling in your five O. That's right. <laughs> as we as we do as yes. we do yes. So, um, yeah, definitely leave a comment on there, and we will get that contest together. And with that, that's that's uh, episode 47. Yeah, so be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. 
And be sure to leave us reviews by visiting www.codingblocks.net slash review. And visit us at codingblocks.net, as if we didn't just say that a second ago, where you can find our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. Why so you got to hate, man? I, it's just one of those things that I've noticed every time, and I'm like, why don't I ever change that? Anyways, um, send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and head over to codingblocks.net where you can find all our social links there at the top of the page. And if you click them, they should take you to those places. And absolutely, 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 join us on Slack. Yeah, totally. www.codingblocks.net slash Slack. You can send yourself your your very own invitation and jump in there and enjoy the conversation. Yeah. And there's all kinds of great channels in the Slack. So once you do join, be sure to uh, explore and find the different channels that are available because initially you might um, not notice all the great channels that are there that might be you know some fun, relevant ones for you. Rants and Dev Talk are must. Dev Talk is definitely up there. Yeah. Yes. So... That's it, guys. We will be back soon and with Joe Zach. So, uh, again, we missed him. And, uh, you know, we'll have him back next episode. Peace. Later. <laughs>